Uh, but we, we are back in Exodus. Uh, we, we took a, a break from Exodus. We're, we're back. Um, God has freed his, his people from slavery in Egypt. He's making uh, this people in, into his own possession. They're to be set apart uh, for him and to him. They're to live lives that, that point, um, point people to God. Uh, the, the way that uh, they were, they were to look so different that, 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 that the surrounding nations w- would see and, and want to know who is this, this God that, that they worship. So uh, we're in Exodus 21. Just a couple chapters ago, they didn't even have rules yet from God. Uh, they, they, they had a culture. They, they'd, just been, they'd lived life in the ways that they saw fit. Um, I'm sure they were influenced by, by nations around them that they interacted with. They, they lived by what they valued, what, what made sense to them. So we come to this passage, and, and God is speaking into how they'd already been, been living. God is, uh, he, he's, he's forming them, right? He's, he's speaking, he, he's demonstrating for them, this, this is who I am, this is how you are to live, right? So I am just, you are going to be just. You're going to treat people justly. I care for, for the oppressed. You are going to care for the oppressed, and on and on and on. So what we come to here, it's, it's kind of like case law, right, where, where there, there, there are laws made based on real-life cases. So, okay, you're going to live this way. We've got to tweak that. This is how you are to live. Um, so this passage is about Hebrew slavery. Um, and before we can even get into the passage, uh, I think because of our country's history with slavery, we, we've got to... We've got to recognize that, that, um, that this is uh, totally different. Um, we, we have a history, unfortunately, as Christians where, where people used passages like this and other passages in Scripture to justify the owning of slaves, but, but they did not read uh, in verse 16 uh, of Exodus 21. Let's pull that up on the screen. It says, Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. Right, so that very clearly says, no, like, this is not what, what we're talking about here. The, the penalty for that is, is, is death. Exodus 21 is not um, race-based slavery like, like we think of in our history. Slavery in our history is evil and sinful. Um, and, and this passage isn't about racism uh, at all. But as Gary and I were talking, we just felt like we got to at least say something here. Because um, today we, we feel the impact of, of racism in our country. We, we see um, how divided our, our country is over a lot of things, but, but one of them uh, certainly is racism. Um, and we're making a big mistake if, if we think that, that this isn't a, a, a big deal. Um, uh, I know for me, since the election, um, I, I just can't help but think about racism more and more. Since, uh, also since adopting our daughter from China, you know, I have a Chinese-American girl, and, and I, I wonder and I fear, like, what is she going to face Growing up, what are the things that I, I will not be able to protect her, her from? The Bible is very clear that, that God is saving a people from, from every nation, from every people. Um, he, he will have a diverse people. Um, so as Christians, we need to be leading the way in, in, in working towards reconciliation among races. Uh, we, we need to not stand for racism. Um, if you assume that you don't have any issues with racism... I encourage you to doubt that and, and, and actually do some exploring. We all have racial biases, and I, I know so very little. Um, I'm just trying to learn more and more and more. Um, at, at ETV this summer, which is our high school camp, we have these forums, and uh, the UNs did a forum 
they're not there, they're there. Uh, the Humes did a, f- a forum for us on, on racism, and it was so good. So I, this is really all, all we're going to talk about this today. But I would just encourage you, like, we are God's people. We, we, need, to, we need to be working uh, with our country in, in this. We need to be working to, uh, to do everything we can to, to, to get rid of racism. So there's a lot more that could be said, should be said, but, but we're, that, that's it for today. So, so why did God give them rules about how, how to treat slaves? And the word slaves could also be translated as, as servant, um, both, both in the Old Testament and, and the New. Um, well, God says, I, the Lord your God, who brought you out of slavery. So it's not that long ago that they found themselves as slaves. And they, they were mistreated by the Egyptians. There's, there's no doubt that, that, that slavery was terrible. So they should remember what it was like and, and learn from that, you, you would think. But God knows our propensity to sin. God knows what, what we're like. Teacher, teacher, scripture teaches um, that apart from Christ, like we just, we run to sin. Without Jesus, sinning is, is our very nature. And Paul says that, that we're slaves to sin before placing our faith, faith in Jesus. And Christians... You know that's true, right? Like, we, we know that, that, that you, you were a slave to sin before trusting Jesus. That sin was, was your master, and you're in desperate need of freedom from sin that could only come from Jesus. I had a really interesting um, moment this summer with a good friend. Um, he, uh, he would, it's way more complicated than this, but, but he would label himself as an atheist, um, uh, he, uh, he, when I, when I came upon him, he had, uh, he just, uh, he just come face to face with the fact that he'd hurt someone really badly, that he, he loved really, really deeply. Uh, someone had come to get me, uh, to come over to my friend, and when I got there, he was weeping uncontrollably. I mean, I really, I'm not sure if I've ever seen someone weep so hard. He, he was, uh, tears flowing from his eyes. I mean, it was, snot from his nose, drool coming out on the ground, just devastated. And, and, and it took a long time for him to even be able to talk. And, and we, we talked, and one of the first things he said to me, right, and this is somebody who does not believe in Jesus, he says, the one thing I know the Bible has right is that I am broken. My friend, who doesn't, he doesn't believe in Christ, but in that moment, he recognized that, that the impact of sin on his life is, he is he's broken. So if you don't know Jesus and you're here today, first of all, we're so glad you're here. Like, you do not have to be a Christian to come here. We are so happy that you're here, and we, and we hope someday that you trust Jesus. But, but if you don't know Jesus yet, I, I wonder if you would agree with my friend who does not know Christ, that the Bible's totally right about the brokenness. Not just the world, not just of humanity, but but our own individual brokenness. So, so why is this passage here? Because if, if God doesn't show us what is good and right, we'll decide for ourselves. Let's read uh, this passage, Exodus 21. We're going to go 1 through 11. It says, Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free. For nothing. And if he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him a son, 
uh, and he, uh, sorry, if his master gives him a wife and she bears him a son or daughters, the wife and the children shall be her masters, uh, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, my children, I will not go out free, then the master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or, or the doorpost, and his master shall bore uh, and uh, bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be a slave forever. Verse 7, when a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master who has designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has broken faith with her. If he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as with a daughter. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, her marital rights. And if he does not do these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. So we read this passage in 2017, and it might feel, it does, it feels obscure, um, disconnected from our lives. Why are we even talking about this? Well, with any passage in Scripture, um, we need to be concerned with what does this communicate to us about God? What is God telling us through his word? What is he telling us about about ourselves and how we relate to him, how we relate to others. God is shaping his, his people to be just like him. God sees and cares for the poor, for the oppressed. God's people are to look out for each other. And this is a special care and concern that we, we're to have for one another as God's people. So what's going on? Verses 1 through 6. So verse 1, um, when you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. So why would this man sell himself as a slave? Um, if someone w- was in financial trouble, right, they're, they're, they're in debt or inability to earn a wage to provide for himself or his family, they could sell themselves basically on a six-year contract to, to work for this person as a servant or as a slave. Um, and, and then in, in the seventh year, they, they would be set free. Their, their work is done. The, the contract is is up so so a male finds himself in a desperate situation and, and he does that he sells himself um, uh, there's there's no welfare then right there, there are no food stamps no uh, no corporations that just moved to town that, that are giving out jobs um, this is a bunch of small businesses right families that, that own a little farm or, or, or some something to make money so obviously this this was not ideal for a person this was not anyone's dream to go sell themselves for six years and, and it, it we probably feel like we can't connect to this at all like maybe at best you took a job that you really didn't like just so you could pay the bills right and i think we've probably all done that um i know people that, that have gone in the military because they didn't know how else to make it right and 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 there's there's some similarities there you know they, they do sign their life over for x number of years to the army marines who whomever um and, and in a lot of ways they're they're owned um, they're provided with food, clothing, shelter. They, they get some money along the way. Uh, they get the GI Bill at the end to help pay for, uh, for tuition for college. But this, this is what the Hebrew does. He, he, he agrees that he's going to serve this master for six years and, and, then, and then go free afterwards. Um, in the seventh year, uh, he's completed his obligation. He doesn't have to pay anything. Uh, no one buys his freedom. He, he, he's, he's done his service. Um, it's interesting, in, in Deuteronomy 15, um, which won't be on the screen, um, 
the master is supposed to actually bless the servant as they go. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 15, 12 and following. If your Hebrew brother, a, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman is sold to you, he shall serve you for six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally, liberally out of your flock and out of your threshing floor and out of your wine press. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. So this is different, right? This is a different picture of slavery. God is telling his people that, that you are going to do this so differently. I know how you used to do it. I know how other nations do it, but, but this is how you are going to do this. You're going to live according to my ways. Verse 3, if he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. Verse 4, if his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go free, then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost, and his master, master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever." So, so if he comes in single, he goes out single. If he comes in with a wife, family, he goes out that way. If he comes in and, and his master gives him a wife, and then they have kids, they're the masters. They're, they're to stay there. But he has an option, right? He, um, he could go and leave them, um, but he could stay. And, and it would make sense if he said, I love my wife and my kids. I'm going to stay. But that's not what this says. It says, I love my master, which makes me think of the wife. (laughs) She's got to be expecting him to say, I love my wife, right? (laughs) She's looking at him, feeling great. I love my master. What? You love who? And then he throws in wife and kids. Just kidding. Um, but, But... but this is so different. Like, this should make us pause and go, what? What, what, kind of, what kind of servant or what kind of master would say they love, or what kind of servant or slave would say they love their master and they, they want to stay? They will not go free. They want to serve him forever. How good it must be to be under this master. So they, they have a ceremony. The master and the servant, they go before God, probably uh, some, some important uh, elders from the town. Um, and there, there's, this, there's this ceremony where the, the, the master marks the servant by, by piercing the ear. And it's this sign that, that, that he's chosen to serve forever in, in, in the master's house. And we'll come back to this. Um, verse 7. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. Uh, and what, what's going on here? Because we read in, uh, in uh, Deuteronomy there, 15, that, that a Hebrew man or woman could, could go in, and then, and then in the uh, seventh year they'd be set free. But, but this, is, this is a man selling his daughter as a slave. Um, We've got to think prearranged marriage here, right? And that's so strange to us. That's just not a part of, of how we do things. Um, but imagine you're a dad, and you're, you're dirt poor. Do you want a prearranged marriage for your daughter with someone else that's also dirt poor? Right? Someone, someone that, that's in the same class as you. 
Or, or do you want your daughter to not be stuck in the same thing that you've been stuck in your whole life? Maybe your parents were stuck in. Who knows how many generations back. So you sell her to this rich guy, hoping that, that she will have a better life. And this seems so crazy to us, but this, this is how it worked then. Verse 8 says, If she does not please her master who has designated her, her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. Right? She could be, she could be bought back. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has broken faith with her. So it's not working out. He's not satisfied with her for whatever reason. Um, her family could buy her back. They could redeem her. It says that he, he cannot sell her to a foreign people. Um, he, he can't just get rid of her. Well, why not? Well, the likelihood of a foreigner mistreating her is huge. She would be incredibly vulnerable. Uh, that, that's a big reason. But also, she's, she's from God's people, right? Like, she's from God's covenant people. God saved her and all these people from slavery. Right? He doesn't want her sold off to another people. He has redeemed the Hebrews. He set them free from the oppressor to be his people. So God's given these rules. He, he, he's, not, he's not saying, hey, this is great how you're doing this, right? But he's saying, you're going to start doing these things this way so that, that is, it is better, more reflects who I am because he's shaping them over time to be more and more in, in the people that, that he wants them to be. So verse 9 says, If he designates her for a son, he shall deal with her as a daughter. Verse 10, If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. Um, so, so if the man takes another woman to be his wife, he, he replaces this woman. Um, uh, so she's now a secondary wife, a concubine. A concubine. Um, He's still to provide for her, right? Which that was not the norm. God's saying, no, you're going to treat her. Um, you're, going to, you're going to care for her in these ways. And then verse 11 says, And if he does not do these things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment. If he doesn't do what he's supposed to do, God says, you have to set her free. There's no price to be paid for her. So I want to, I want to stop quickly and, and, and just a couple pieces of application that, that I think should be mentioned, although they're not... Um, the, the biggest things that, that I want to think about today. Um, obviously, none of us have slaves. Many of you have people that work for you, though. M- maybe you're the owner of a company or your manager, your boss, on some level. Um, how well do you treat the people that work for you? Like, does the way that, that you manage them reflect a, a loving God that has so deeply blessed you, a just God? Do you treat them the same as your counterpart who doesn't know Jesus, right? It's the same authority level. Would your employee ever think to say, I love my boss. He he treats me so well. She treats me so well. She cares for me so much. Second thing is is when, when we treat God's people well, God is glorified. One of our best testimonies to each other and to the world is, is, is when God's people love each other well, when we serve each other well. John thirteen thirty four, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, 
if you have love for one another. So imagine um, a foreigner comes in uh, to the Hebrew people, and, and he sees a guy uh, with his ear pierced. And he said, what's that about? Like, why, why does that guy have his ear, ear pierced? And he finds out the backstory. He's like, wait, he said, I love my master. I want to serve him forever. That's weird. And he keeps going on. And then he sees another guy with his ear pierced. How, that happened twice? That is so strange. And he sees multiple times over and over again. Says, what is going on here? Like, how, how could this be? These Hebrews are different. Like, they treat their own so differently. Galatians 6, 9 and 10 says, uh, Therefore, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and then it says, and especially those who are in the household of the faith, right? So, so we are to love all people well. But God tells us over and over again that we're to, we have a special love for God's own people, right? For other Christians, for other believers. And, and, and we see that reflected in God, too. He, he loves everyone, but he lavishes on his kids differently. And that might not seem right to us. We might not like that. But if you think about yourself, if you have children, maybe you love all kids, right? You, you love that our kids, like, do laps around the church afterwards. Sorry for those of you who do not love that. Um, but your own kids, you love them differently, right? Like, I love my own children differently. My love for them is greater. It's special, and God tells us we are supposed to love each other so well. Why? Because if we don't, we are a terrible testimony to who God is. If we can't get this right, why would someone want to follow Jesus? Back to verse 5. So again, it says, But if the, if the slave says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go free. This is a picture of, of a person's devotion and trust and longing to, to follow after God, to submit to him as Lord and Master. So why, why would a Christian want to be a slave to God? Well, because of who the Master is and because of what he's done. Christ became a slave for us. He took the form of a servant. Uh, Philippians 2.7 says this, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of of men, the only one who, who didn't deserve to be a slave, to be a servant, became one for us. The very plan for Christ to bring about redemption, to purchase sinners, was to become a servant in order to free us. Right? Jesus didn't, didn't come to be served, but, but he did serve. We were absolutely stuck in our sin, like just dead in our sin. And, and Christ comes to redeem us, to purchase us with his blood. And he didn't just get the ear pierced, right? Like he was pierced for our transgressions, for our sins. So the master uh, in Exodus 21 is foreshadowing the, the, the real master, the real Lord, the one that I can say, that we can say, I love my master. I want to serve him forever. And, and, and being a servant really is in the very DNA of who we are as Christians. Right? Like, over and over again throughout Scripture, we see that God's people identify themselves as servants, and God identifies them as servants. King David, God, God calls David my servant, 
All right, the Apostle Paul over and over again calls himself servant. Moses is called a servant. Like over and over again, I could read tons of scripture to you about that. But, but part of our identity as Christ followers is we are servants because that's who our master is. Matthew twenty twenty six. Jesus is uh, talking to the disciples who were uh, kind of power tripping. Uh, and he, he said, it shall not be so among you. Right, you're not going to lord it over like the Gentiles do, is what he just said. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. E- uh, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the slave publicly declares to everyone their allegiance to the master. And, and from this point forward, the, the slave was marked. Um, the Apostle Paul, he, he says that he was, he was marked as a slave. Galatians 6, 17 says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble. Right? People were, were calling into question um, Paul and his ministry. He says, For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. So Paul had these physical scars right, from, from the persecution that he faced in following Jesus. Um, but but he, he was committed he was committed to endure. He sacrificed his own safety. Second Corinthians 6, 4, Paul says, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and affliction and hardships and calamities. First Corinthians six nineteen says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So Christians, do we live as if we are our own? The price for freedom from sin was steep. Jesus shed his blood. Do I recognize that, that, that I'm not my own? We, we use the word Lord a lot, right? If you've been in church long, like we use that word all the time. I, I, I think that often when I pray, I usually call God Lord. Um, but I wonder, does that word actually carry the meaning that it should to me? Like, do I actually realize that, 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 that God has authority over me? Do I mean, when I call him Lord, that he gets to tell me what is good? Because I wonder how many times I, I've actually just said Lord as an empty title to God. So I've been experimenting, like, since... Uh, reading this passage this week, later in the week, I started praying, and instead of calling Jesus Lord, I called him Master. And it's pretty hard to say the word Master to someone without really thinking differently, right? without really recognizing who he is and who I am. So do we have the, the posture of a servant? Right? Do, we, do we walk humbly before God? Do I long for others to be freed from, from their slavery to sin like I've been freed? Do my actions and my words proclaim that I love my master's, my heart, to please my master? Like, do, do we ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you want of me? Like, what do you want from me? In John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, right? And last week, we talked about the Great Commission. Man, let's, let's keep that command to go and make disciples. And it's neat. I've actually had a couple of people this week tell me stories about just trying to talk to people about Jesus, right? And, and one of the stories, I don't know if it went super well or, or not. Uh, time will tell. Uh, but the other story is neat to hear, like, oh, God's doing something here. Like, are, are, we, are we ready to follow Jesus? 
to wherever he says to go, to tell everyone how great this master is, so great that I would say I love my master, I want to be his forever.